Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week we are both pumped for the movie that is now out in theaters. I'm Jeff Braun. I checked out a couple of new things over on Disney Plus, including a movie about the Boston Strangler and a documentary about Ireland's favorite rock band. And this week on an HBO, an Emmy juggernaut returns for its fourth and final season, Succession. But first, the movie everyone's talking about this weekend, one of our favorites, Keanu Reeves, is back to blow away bad guys in John Wick, Chapter 4. Saying goodbyes? Saying hello. You think your wife can hear you? No. And why bother? Maybe I'm wrong. You're going to die. Maybe not. Man has to look his best when it's time to get married. Or buried. I'm going to need a gun. If you've seen any of the John Wick movies, you can rest assured John Wick 4 will be pretty much the same thing, and that's just fine with us because it's incredibly entertaining. If you've never seen a John Wick movie, it's mostly just Keanu Reeves dressed in a suit, uh, getting beat up while killing a bunch of people for a couple of hours, and a couple of hours is an understatement. John Wick 4 is two hours and 48 minutes long. It sounds like there's more nonsense about the high table and the hierarchy within the Wick's uh, assassin community. It's never been my favorite part of these movies, but I mean, I guess they need something to talk about uh, between the action scenes, of which there will be more than enough. John Wick Chapter 4 is in theaters now. It is at 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, summarized as John Wick Chapter 4 piles on more of everything and suggests that when it comes to a well-dressed Keanu Reeves dispatching his enemies in lethally balletic style, there can never be too much. So that's encouraging because when I heard two, almost three hours long, I thought, man, that is going to be exhausting. And here's the thing. It's Thursday as we record this show. Uh, I am going to see the movie this afternoon, immediately after we are done recording. I am heading to the movie theater. It's already been a long day. <laughs> And then I get in one of those fancy landmark cinemas recliners and I fear that I am going down for the count. But because I actually no way you make it through the whole movie, man. Come on. I didn't make it through John Wick chapter three either. I just remembered Uh, I was talking to my my, a couple of my (laughs) friends the other day and we remembered that I fell asleep in the last 45 minutes of that. I think I woke up with two minutes to go. And had no idea what happened in the climax, so I had to go see it a second time. So, gosh, I hope I can stay awake for all of Chapter 4 because I'm so excited. I I just recently rewatched all three movies again. So that's twice now in the last month that I've watched the, the three John Wick movies. And I think I somehow managed to enjoy them even more on this second recent rewatch. I don't understand how that works. You'd think that there'd be some fatigue. I think the thing that just really works with these movies is they really are action cinema. They're not just action movies. 
The first one was a simple tale, but it was a beautiful story about this man grieving his wife, and the action was like nothing we've never seen. And then, same thing for chapters two and three. Just they they keep pushing the boundaries on the action on the screen, but they make they keep pushing the boundaries of like making the not only the the action beautiful, but the scenery and the production and the designs and the sets. It's just it's mesmerizing stuff. Oh, absolutely. I, I watched all three of the earlier ones in the last month as well. Uh, I only rewatched them once, but yeah, it was, it's just gripping stuff. Like those movies start and as soon as they kick into gear, they just never let up until the end. It's a, always a great ride. So can't wait to see what they got in store for John Wick 4. I've heard some movie critics say, well, I've seen action in this movie that I've never seen before. And uh, in 2023 to put anything on a movie screen that no one has ever seen before is quite the feat. Yeah, no kidding. So I am really, really excited about this. Let's hope that I can stay awake for the entirety of this film. But we also wanted to mention this because as we head into John Wick Chapter 4 with just one week before release, we learned one of the biggest members of the cast, the supporting cast, Lance Reddick, had died on St. Patrick's Day. Julie Walker from the Associated Press has more. Lance Reddick may be best known for playing a cop on the HBO series The Wire. These people do not touch the drugs. They don't go near the drugs. The Wire is what gives us Boxdale. Day by day, piece by piece. The actor died Friday morning of natural causes, according to his publicist. The Baltimore born and raised Reddick was a Yale drama school graduate and once said, I knew I was as talented as other students, but because I was a black man and wasn't pretty, I knew I would have to work my butt off. John Wick star Keanu Reeves says he's dedicating the upcoming film to Reddick and was deeply saddened and heartbroken at the loss. Reddick is survived by his wife and children. I'm Julie Walker. As you heard in there, he's best known to some for having a big role on The Wire, but also a big role in the John Wick movies as a kindly concierge named Sharon. And as always, it is a pleasure having you with us again, Mr. Wick. So that role is a bit of a departure for him, and I know that he's enjoyed playing it because he says he usually plays the same kinds of characters, sort of intense, icy, potentially even sinister people. Not to suggest he didn't enjoy playing those kinds of characters, he just liked the sort of break from tradition. But in uh, John Wick, he his character can be intense, He's but he's just sort of the heart of the movie with his calming presence while being surrounded by chaos. And one of my favorite roles of his is from the television show Fringe that ran for five seasons from 2008 to 2013. It was another Fox Network weirdo science fiction show. And my favorite scene in the series comes from the second season, courtesy of Lance Reddick. Unsubstantiated claims of invasion. Reports of technology run amok. The old X designation and your fringe investigations have been indulgences in the federal budget for over half a century. Well, the salad days are over, Mr. Broyles. Colonel. Excuse me? Or special agent, as you'd prefer, Senator. Colonel Broyles. Philip, listen, we all have a job here and we- Yes, Senator, I have a job. The same job I have had in three administrations and six wars to defend our national security. And I assure you, we are not secure. Yes, sometimes the threat is familiar. 
But I have come to learn that sometimes it is far worse, and when it is worse, when the threat is unimaginable, that is when we are at the door. And you should thank God for that. Ah, goosebumps hearing that right up with the fringe 80s theme song, which they aired one time in five seasons, but it's always been our default music ever since whenever we talk about fringe. But um, yeah, I just love that scene. He's so intense and he's got such a cool voice. And just as a sidebar, how amazing is it that John Wick as a franchise has three of the actors with the best voices in all of Hollywood. You've got Ian McShane as the Continental Hotel manager, and then Lance Reddick as his concierge, and then Lawrence Fishburne as the King of the Bowery. So, yeah, a lot of cool people in this movie. Lance Reddick, whatever he turned up in, where whenever you saw him in something, you, I always instantly got more excited because I knew right away that whatever I was watching was about to get five times better. Yep, absolutely. He he's in I think one, maybe two episodes of Lost, and he uh, he plays this guy Abaddon. And as soon as he popped up the first time, I was like, oh oh, it's this guy. At that time, I didn't know his name. I was like, this is about to get real good. And sure enough, it didn't disappoint. But yeah, uh, his guy on the wire was amazing, Lieutenant uh, or Cedric Daniels, who becomes I think he becomes police chief eventually, or. A, assistant chief or something like that anyways he's just fantastic that's a show that didn't have a lot of good guys even a lot of the good guys weren't good guys but he was one of the real good guys in that show and there's just he he would play these tough stern guys and you know like you said he had the voice and the intense uh looks that he would give but he also like uh added a layer of humanity that most other actors couldn't that play tough guys just never add to those kind of roles so uh it's a huge loss i was so bummed out when I heard that he had passed on. It was usually celebrity deaths don't bother me that much, but I almost started crying when I saw this because I also follow him on Twitter. And uh, in real life, he was a very nice, sweet guy. And it was, it's a, uh, it's a, it's, I'm going to miss him in my timeline. That's for sure. Because as we know, uh, Twitter is mostly filled with hate and poison. That's right. And I'm glad, I'm glad you said that because I, w- I was feeling the same way. I don't, I don't normally get. Not to say that I don't, I'm not saddened by celebrity deaths, but this one was sudden and kind of out of nowhere. Like, this is a big, strong, healthy man. And there was something up when he, he didn't go to the movie premiere. Instead, he stayed home with his dogs and was posting pictures of his dogs. And uh, so that was kind of weird, but whatever. He didn't, didn't think that he was about to, to pass away. Uh, but you're right as well on the 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 level of humanity that he somehow exudes. Uh, there's just something in his eyes where he can do both intense intense anger and then switch instantly to something that's a lot more soft. And you know that's what his castmates and the director of John Wick. That's what they're all saying that he was just a kind and gentle man. So yeah, this uh, really sucks. So but. We'll get to enjoy him. He's in John Wick Chapter 4, and we will have a full review of that film next week on The Couch Potatoes. And actually, I'm going to, because I have to put together this little two-minute piece that runs across the network on Fridays, so I'll, you know, I think I'll throw that in as a bonus podcast episode as well. So the sort of mini-review coming a bit later on Thursday evening into Friday morning, full review next week. Up next, we got to tell you about a movie that Jeff... Watched on Disney Plus, Kira Knightley in a movie that I, when I saw 
her face pop up, and then the title of the movie, I thought, that's interesting. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and Kiara Knightley plays a newspaper reporter hunting a serial killer in Disney Plus's Boston Strangler. Five women have been strangled over the past three months. By number and by nature, these stranglings are beyond anything ever seen before in the criminal history of the city. The murders are clearly premeditated. All elderly, all lived alone. It's a pattern. The crimes themselves are insane. He ransacks the apartments, but doesn't take anything. He leaves his victims posed with a bizarre air of ceremony, each left with a decorative garret around her neck. In every case, there is no evidence left behind. No clue as to how he selects his victims. In the news media, I love a good journalism movie, and while Boston Strangler will not be going on the Mount Rushmore of newspaper movies, it is still pretty good. It's inspired by a true story, that of Boston newspaper reporter Loretta McLaughlin, played by Kira Knightley, who covers the Strangler murders of the early 1960s. In fact, it is she who puts together enough clues to see that a series of murders are related and likely the work of the same killer. But she starts off, uh, as apparently a lot of women journalists did back in the day, right for the lifestyle section of the paper, just writing product reviews for new toasters and other quote-unquote girl stories. Only the very serious men journalists are allowed to cover the crime beat, especially the homicides. It's a sign of the times, and the movie moves past it fairly quickly, although there is some followed on the home front from her husband, who is generally supportive of his wife having a job, but less so as her drive to find the killer takes up more and more of her time. Loretta is not the only one working the case. Her boss, played by Chris Cooper, assigns a second journalist, played by Carrie Coon. She's an experienced investigative reporter for the paper, again, a rarity amongst the women on staff. And the two of them start making waves, and it's not too long before they start showing up the police with their findings, and they start taking some heat from their editor, the cops, and all the weirdos out there, so that's not too different from today, as it turns out. And that's sort of the basic story. The movie follows the trajectory of the investigation. If you know the history, you'll know how it'll end. If you don't, you might be surprised. I had heard of the Boston Strangler before, but I honestly didn't know anything about it. The movie is pretty good, but not great. There is enough plot-driven propulsion with the story to keep you interested. The performances are all good, but there is still a little something lacking in the color. Uh, literally, the movie is a very muted color palette, like a most movies about serial killers would, I guess, in this day and age. But the filmmaking also lacks some color. They try to add a add it a little bit with Loretta's family life, but it never really connects. And it doesn't help that we've seen a lot of movies like this before. The one that jumps out right away is, is the David Fincher movie Zodiac, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Robert Downey Jr., and Mark Ruffalo. It has a lot of similarities to this, even though it's about a different serial killer in a different part of the country. But because that movie's, uh, you know, from David Fincher, the quality is obviously way better. He's a master filmmaker, and he knows that the plot is almost secondary to uh you know, a masterpiece movie. The Boston Strangler is mostly about its plot. Zodiac is also mostly about the, the obsession with finding the killer and how it consumes Hall's character. And the Boston Strangler sort of touches on that, but doesn't go as deep into it. Again, without anything else to compare it to, Boston Strangler probably looks a lot better than it would otherwise, but it's, you know, it's still pretty good and very watchable. Uh, I've mentioned before, uh, how Boston accents are overused and get on my nerves. This movie, surprisingly, does not do a lot of it. There's only one cop who lays it on thick, but I uh, actually didn't mind his accent. No one else really bothers trying, which was fine. The costumes and set decorations, all that period stuff from the 60s was great. And uh, weirdly, the thing that felt the most fake 
was the smoking. A lot of period movies, you know, have the actors smoke a lot in them. And it seems like that's become a lost art or something. Because if you watch a movie that's actually made in the 60s or 70s when people were really smoking, it looks normal. It just looks like people smoking. But nowadays it looks phony. You can tell they're not smokers. And they all try to make a show out of lighting a cigarette like it isn't just some mundane thing they do 25 times a day, which it is for real smokers. Uh, just something I noticed because you don't really see a lot of smoking in movies at all anymore. Anyways, overall, a pretty solid newspaper thriller. Doesn't hit the heights of Zodiac or All the President's Men or Spotlight, but it is an interesting enough story to be worth your time. Three couch cushions out of five for Boston Strangler on Disney Plus. And just to clarify, right at the beginning of after that first clip, Jeff said working in the news media. I didn't get to turn his button on in time, so all we could hear is news media. Uh, so just to clarify that opening thought. And up next, we got to tell you about one of the biggest, most highly anticipated television shows making its return this weekend. You are listening to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Now we got to talk about how season four of one of the most acclaimed shows on television is back this weekend, Succession. Everything I try to do, people turn against me. I'm a hundred feet tall. These people are pygmies. The HBO show is about a monstrous media company and the family who owns and runs it. They are dysfunctional. They are disgusting human beings. They are engaged in a power struggle in the company, and it is mesmerizing. Brian Cox plays the boss. The series begins with him set to step aside and name one of his sons as the successor, but then, well, he didn't. And now chaos has ensued. He's got several sons and a daughter. They all want that power. All we know so far is that this is the final season, the fourth and final season. And this show has won a whole bunch of Emmys. It was nominated for Best Drama for its first season. And it won Best Drama for its second and third seasons. And it's won a whole bunch of other awards. Like This is just a powerhouse of a show. Jeff, I can't remember. Have you managed to get through all three seasons? Yeah, uh, right before season three started, I uh, binge watched the first two and then was uh, all caught up for through season three. Uh, I'm sort of starting to wish I rewatched the last few episodes of season three. I might do that actually before uh, the premiere Sunday night because it's a they, it's a complicated thing. They go through so much story in these uh, episodes that I, I can't remember at all where it left off or what's going on. Yeah, this, I think, is one of those shows that, especially now that it's entering into its final season, knowing that there's a finish line and that it's only four seasons, eventually I will have to rewatch this, I think, all like to just run through it uh, because there are so many little details that I won't remember and a lot of characters I won't remember because it's been a while since season three ended, but still cool and I can't wait for that. I also just wanted to touch on a show that surprised me this year because its second season just wrapped up on Crave. It's the Brian Cranston show, Your Honor. I am offering you a chance to atone for what you have done. To help bring down the single greatest threat to New Orleans. I can't do this. There are memories that I just can't bear. Who do you think you're talking to? 
Have I given you the impression that any of this is optional? So in your honor, in season one, it's a remake of an Israeli show that was, it was only meant to be a limited series as far as I know. And Brian Cranston plays a father who is a judge in New Orleans and his teenage son is involved in a crash, a hit and run crash and bad things happen to the victim. And Brian Cranston makes a decision to protect his son rather than turn him in. And there are all kinds of consequences for that decision involving the local mob and this local uh, gang of drug dealers and everything sort of crisscrosses and there's all sorts of collateral damage out of this one event. So in theory, it's a great idea for a story. And with Brian Cranston leading the way, should have been awesome, but that first season was not really good. It was at 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think I I was really unhappy with it. I just seemed, there were, there were so many times where I thought, this is so stupid. The writing is just dumb. It didn't work for me. And when it ended, I thought, thank God, like good riddance. And then they made a second season. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay. And watched the trailer and thought, well, that looks interesting. So... In the second season, I, I I don't know why I gave it a chance because I was so unhappy with that first season, but I thought, I'm going to give this a chance. And sure enough, I actually enjoyed it a lot more than that first season. The first half of the second season, I enjoyed a lot more. The second half kind of disappointed me because for the same reasons the first season disappointed me. It looked like it was pointing to a major and explosive conflict that never came to be. Same thing in season two, but that's not to say that it didn't take some interesting twists and turns. And the acting is excellent across the board. Like the, the cast in this is really strong, even in the first half or first season where I thought it was not the best story, but I'm sort of glad that I toughed through that first season because I quite enjoyed the second season. So if you're interested in your honor, it's a Showtime show from the U.S. It airs on Crave in Canada, so you should be able to watch that on demand or through the Crave app. Season two of Your Honor. Now, Jeff, uh, turns out you watched a lot of stuff on Disney Plus this week. Yeah, I guess I just had it sitting there on for some reason and was scrolling around and I found there's an odd but enjoyable new documentary about U2 called Bono and the Edge, A Sort of Homecoming with Dave Letterman. This is a bit of a day, isn't it? While Larry was injured and Adam was off making an art film, Edge and I asked David Letterman to Dublin to talk about our songs. Years of reflection has caused you to change lyrics in some of these songs. We wanted to strip away the artifice that inevitably emerges after you've been around this long. We seem to thrive doing something that's never been done before. I don't know if you fully understand what we're in for tonight, but you will be very happy you'd have this experience. Bono and the Edge. 
This 90-minute special sees former late-night talk show host Dave Letterman travel to Dublin, Ireland to interview Bono and The Edge from U2 about the band's history and where they are today. It coincides with the release of a new U2 album called Songs of Surrender, which are reimagined and re-recorded versions of 40 of their old songs over the course of their career. There are some performances included in the special, but it's not a concert film or anything. All the performances are chopped up with interview bits in between, so you don't see full songs uninterrupted. Obviously, your mileage will vary based uh, with this based on two things, and those being one, how much you enjoy the music of U2, and two, how much you enjoy the presence of David Letterman. I'm a big fan of both. I'll get to U2 in a minute, but first I want to talk about Letterman. He retired from his late show hosting duties back in 2015, I believe, and after a couple of years of radio silence, he reemerged a couple years ago with this new Netflix show, uh, which is long-form interviews with celebrities, fewer jokes, more serious talk. And as much as I love him, and I do love him, he's a comedy and broadcasting hero of mine, that Netflix show runs a very distant second to his old late-night program in my eyes. I guess I'm just interested in Letterman for comedy, not any sort of a serious discussion. I know other people who love Dave who love that Netflix show, but I just couldn't get into it. He's naturally funny, obviously, but I prefer when he's really focus on the comedy when the comedy is the driving force and on the Netflix show it just isn't and here with you too it isn't either now there are quite a few decent laughs over the 90 minutes Dave does some wandering around Dublin talking to the locals but it's not a laugh riot and of course the point is to hear from you too Bono and the Edge talk about their beginnings in Dublin and all the Ireland of it all. It's pretty loose and shapeless and meandering, which is fine for a casual watch. This is uh, not the definitive history of the band or something like that. Just a general look back from this specific time and place. Bono can be a, a pretty polarizing guy. I think a lot of people either love him or hate him without much in between. I would say he comes off here as a lot more down to earth and normal than you might expect. I like you 2 a lot, although it has been, I don't know, probably 20 years since they've had an album that I could really latch on to. This new album idea is kind of cool. Uh, re-recordings of their old songs uh, that have been drastically kind of musically reshaped. But every time I hear a new version of one of these songs, it just makes me wish I was listening to the original version. But maybe that's just me too. It might not be them. But I am glad they're still plugging along. If they ever tour in these parts again, I'll definitely go because they are amazing in concert. But if you do like the band or Dave Letterman or both, it's definitely something worth checking out. It's called Bono and the Edge, a sort of homecoming with Dave Letterman. And it's available now on Disney+. And up next, we are going to find out which classic action movie that Jeff Brown rewatched this week. And I want to just quickly tell you about something that popped up in the top 10 TV shows on Netflix this week. It's actually a pretty important documentary about something we don't typically talk about out in the open. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. I want to tell you about something here because it's in the top 10 on Netflix this week. A lot of people are watching this, and if you're at all familiar with this, I think this might be something you should watch too. It's called Money Shot, The Porn Hub Story. The more I explored, the more aghast I became. I found too many cases of kids whose worst moments were preserved in amber. I was pretty reliant on what management was willing to say about it. All we were told was none of it's true. This industry is going to get cleaned up. 
they neglect to see that sex work and sex trafficking are two completely different things. Sex workers in general were deplatformed across the internet. 72% of us lost our income. If it wasn't for porn, like, I probably wouldn't be alive. It's not just an attack on porn, it's an attack on people being able to express themselves. And the people who get left in the dust are porn performers. So featuring interviews with performers, activists, and past employees, this documentary offers a deep dive into the successes and scandals of Pornhub, which is one of the biggest, busiest websites on planet Earth. It's in the top 10, I think, for web traffic, something like three and a half billion visits per month. So the documentary debuted on March 15th, and there's way too much to unpack. Like it's, I think it was an hour and a half. There is a lot going on here, and there's a lot of stuff that I did not realize was happening with the adult entertainment industry with these kinds of sites. Because on one hand, you've got legitimate adult entertainment performers who are just trying to make a living, and then websites like Pornhub came along. There, So there are all kinds of websites like this. It's like a YouTube. It's just, it's just a, uh, they call it a tube site. It's just a site where a lot of these videos end up being put up by people. They finally made a deal with the studios because they were losing too much money by having all their stuff stolen and get put on websites like Pornhub. But what happened is they, the website also allowed people to put up kind of whatever they wanted, like amateur videos. But then nefarious people were putting up bad stuff like underage people who are being filmed and they don't even know it or videos of rape and stuff like that so yeah this is a it was a really complicated web to to go through and you just sort of feel bad for almost everybody involved and i think if you have ever even heard of Pornhub. You don't even have to say if you've visited this website or not, but I think this is a worthy watch because it will make you perhaps think about how you view the industry, both for better and for worse, because getting to see the performers just be human beings and talk about the, the struggles they've gone through was also really helpful. So, yeah, I quite enjoyed Money Shot, the Pornhub story. And uh, no nudity, by the way, if that's what you're looking for, just actually go to the website. In the meantime, Jeff Braun, what did you watch this week? Well, from the Blast from the Past department, I watched an action classic. Arnold Schwarzenegger is Commando. You're a funny guy, Sally. I like you. That's why I'm going to kill you last. Remember, Sally, when I promised to kill you last? That's what made you... You did! I lied. And he drops him off a cliff. Commando may have been the first real action movie I ever saw as a kid. I remember it well. The movie came out in 1985. I didn't see it then. It was a couple years later. I must have been 11 or 12 watching with a couple of friends in the basement. And my dad came down to check on us, heard a bunch of swearing and said, if I hear that F word one more time, I'm turning this off. And then he sat down on the couch and I was just sweating bullets waiting for the other shoe to drop. But before someone could swear, uh, the old man fell asleep and my buddies and I enjoyed the rest of the movie. And dad was none the wiser. Weirdly enough, there isn't really that much swearing in the movie I discovered rewatching it this weekend. There is a lot of bloodshed, though, and I mean a lot of bloodshed. I know those 80 act 80s actioners were, uh, you know, often a one man against an army scenario, but I was still shocked at just exactly how many bad guys Arnie mows down in this one movie. I think it's over 100, I read somewhere. If you've never seen it, it's an incredibly basic premise. He plays a former special forces guy who's retired and lives with his daughter in a house in the woods. One day, 
There's a deposed dictator from a country called Valverde who kidnaps Arnie's daughter in an attempt to force Arnie to do some killing on his behalf. But Arnie instead just goes on a mission to kill all the bad guys and get his daughter back. So it's 90 minutes of him just leaving a trail of bodies with a variety of machine guns in an effort to rescue his little girl who is played by Alyssa Milano, as it turns out. Uh, Schwarzenegger's pretty bad in this movie. I mean, at least his line deliveries are. It's very one-linery, like a lot of his movies, but I think he sells a lot of them worse here than he did even in Batman and Robin, and that's saying something. Doesn't matter, though, because it's a ton of fun. The movie uh, must be the genesis of McBain on The Simpsons. It's hard to watch Commando without thinking of McBain whenever Arnie delivers his zinger. Aside from the dialogue, there are just a ton of fun scenes and moments. There's his improbable escape from an airplane that's taken off. There's a couple of good car chases. There's a lot of fun with a rocket launcher. There's the weirdest kill I've seen where he just throws a circular saw blade at a guy and it slices half his head off. How much spin did he put on that thing? And then uh, explosions galore in the finale and then it's just over. Uh, the supporting cast is pretty good. Ray Don Chong uh, plays an innocent bystander whom Arnie ropes into helping him. She actually turns out to be a pilot, which is extremely fortunate uh, coincidence-wise for him. She also has pretty good aim with that rocket launcher once she gets appointed in the right direction. Bill Duke plays a bad guy. He's always good in whatever he's in and would, of course, go on to work with Arnie again in Predator. Vernon Wells plays a bad guy who has a unique look. He got hired in the last minute to replace someone and then had to wear that previous actor's costume, and it's all clearly two sizes too small on him. It looks just bonkers looking at this guy. And then uh, Dan Hedaya's in it. He plays the deposed dictator from the country, Valverde, and now Valverde's a fictional company or country, but you may have heard of it before. The writer, Stephen D'Souza, invented it, but he kept putting it in his screenplays. So you have it mentioned in this and in Die Hard 2, I think also in Predator and some other movies I've never heard of. Um, at any rate, Commando is a fun throwback to an action uh, classic that's very entertaining, despite and sometimes because of its cinematic limitations. Four couch cushions out of five for Commando, and it's available out on Disney+. Plus. I think outside of the Schwarzenegger Hall of Famers, like the Terminator movies, uh, I'm trying to think of the True other. Lies. What's that? True Lies, yes. Uh, Predator. Predator, there we go. You, you're like, what? <laughs> it's not just the Terminator <laughs> movies, but yeah, Commando would be my favorite Schwarzenegger movie. So that's awesome. I didn't realize it was streaming. I might check that, uh, that out soon. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.